The Midwest Film Nerds podcast is now available on Stitcher Radio. Download the free Stitcher Radio app from the Android and iTunes app stores to start streaming our show today. Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Willie. I'm Nick. And I'm Alex. We got a lot of fun stuff for you today, guys. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Suicide Squad casting, which we, we just found out about, I think, like an hour ago. Um, breaking. Breaking news, yeah. Yes. It won't be breaking by the time our you, con- our you contacts hear this. Call us up today. Yeah. We got our 4chan contacts working for us. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about a quote from Ridley Scott about his new film, Exodus, which we'll get into when we talk about it. Um, Alex has a little surprise something for me and Nick here. It's not that much of a surprise, but I think you guys will like it. Okay. Well, he's got a little little news ditty for us here. And then finally, we're going to be covering the Star Wars trailer like everyone else on the internet is. Um, but we do it better because we're the Midwest Film News Podcast. Before all that, we do have some feedback from our good friend, Yoop, and uh, the feedback is, congratulations, Nick, on your birthday. <laughs> that's, that's the feedback. Thank you, Yoop. So, it meant, meant a lot. Was it a good one? The good feedback? Birthday? Yeah. No, birth, birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was excellent. Was it worth a congratulations? I think so. From across the pond? Yeah. Awesome. I think everyone deserves a congratulations for the, the part that they... That they uh, took in, in celebrating my birthday. It was good. <laughs> Fantastic. Everybody did a great job by showing up and having alcohol and food. You're welcome. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Congratulations um, on a birthday well celebrated. Absolutely. Thank you. We did so well. Um, anyway, so if you'd like to send us uh, birthday congratulations or feedback of any sort, um, you can do so by emailing us feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com. Calling us at 248-733-5MFN, which is 248-733-5636. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash midwestfilmnerdspodcast. Uh, we are at MFN Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And finally, you can check out midwestfilmnerds.com for all past episodes with show notes. All right. Now that the business is out of the way, <laughs> let's get down to this Suicide Squad. We've got a cast confirmed. We've heard a lot of rumors about this basically ever since the big announcement from uh, Warner's about the... The data drop. The data... Yeah, yeah. woohoo. Um, it was a big one. But anyway, we've heard lots of rumors, and as it turns out, a lot of those rumors were true. Yeah. Um, our cast for the Suicide Squad, we've got... Oh, is it confirmed? It's confirmed. Oh. Uh, Will well, Smith... War- Warner Brothers has announced the cast. The cast of Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Okay. This is 100%. Uh, unless Warner Brothers is trolling us all. <laughs> um, Will Smith is going to play Deadshot and not Captain Boomerang, as was reported, as was reported before. Yeah. So that's a bit of a, a, a twist there. He was definitely in talks when this was rumored, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jai Courtney will be playing Captain Boomerang. Oh so. my god, Captain Boomerang is in this movie. <laughs> yes. So don't... Yes, all you, all you collective Captain Boomerang fans who just... just Started crying, just wiped those tears because he's in the movie. <laughs> and um, Jack Courtney's playing him. So. And Jack Courtney's playing him, which is not a bad thing. Um, Tom Hardy is Rick Flagg. Kara uh, Del- Delvine is Enchantress. And um, then finally, we have Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn mm-hmm. and Jared Leto as the Joker. These are all confirmed. Um, Nick, I want to hear your opinions on this. I know you've been, you've been kind of. Not, not on the fence about this movie in particular, but there's a lot going on with comic books, and I know you're kind of, like, in a weird spot right now with it, so I'm curious to see what you think about what DC's casting choices feel I like think, to you. Um, 
I think it's a good. I think it's a strong cast, and they and they're going to need it coming out out the gate. Like they've got, they've got a uh, an uphill battle for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think casting uh, some some people with the credits they have and the and the faces that are recognizable is a good move. I'm more puzzled by the lineup of the team. It's kind of weird. It's like mm-hmm. two or three different iterations of the Suicide Squad all rolled into one um, cinematic version. But hey, that's fine. What's the usual lineup for that team? I mean, it's I know Deadshot's kind of been a mainstay. Yeah, Deadshot's kind of been around since the I think I think he's been in, in every iteration in the comics right now. I don't know what the new 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 current current lineup is, okay. but it's got like Deadshot, Deadshot and Harley Quinn. The one I've just been reading is Volume Three, okay, which is from the New Fifty Two, and that's Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, Harley Quinn, um, a couple others that are not on that list. Okay, so. Uh, Rick Flagg, I know, is from version two, and maybe maybe one, volumes one and two. Okay. And uh, I don't know about Enchantress. The, the new Suicide Squad currently, Black Manta, Deadshot, Deathstroke, Joker's Daughter, and Harley Quinn. Right. So. so they're going with kind of a, it seems like kind of an old school mix and like some of the newer mm-hmm. established members. The Joker they're all, they're is the one that puzzles like me. Straight humanoid. Um people too which is like okay. they've had like some weird freaks and stuff on the team so anybody know what Rick Flagg's deal is I, I'm not familiar with the guy. character okay okay he's we, like an all around mercenary badass okay. type dude I think the Joker could be the villain I don't know if he's necessarily on the squad we don't know who's on the squad they, they might be going to take him down yeah. or something cause like That's the, the animated movie the assault on Arkham I watched that and in that, the Joker plays a pretty pivotal role, but he's not part of the team. He's like okay. in Arkham when they go into Arkham to do some stuff, and then he's kind of running around causing trouble, as he is wont to do. Well, he's not traditionally a team player, so that's why... I think that's why the one kind of... Yeah, I don't think he'll be on the team. I think he'll be yeah. either like some weird Hannibal Lecter-style role where he's like supporting them, or okay. he's just inside prison, and I don't know. String puller. The casting of Will Smith is the one that's got me kind of wrinkling my nose yeah. a little bit, because... Will Smith is like is. I still think of him. I think and a lot of people do as like box office gold, but I know that he's not anymore. Like I hope, I hope he remembers how to be a movie star because he's he, really he, he's really big for an ensemble role. I think is. Yeah, yeah. My my concern, and, and we talked a tiny bit about this when you first told me the. Well, list. the movie's going to be about that shot. I have almost. He is going. He's going to be the yeah. leader of the crew. I'm sure. But I mean, it's he's the only one who has like character arc <laughs> potential really I mean as, as as it comes from the source material anyway right he has like an actual story like his daughter is his whole motivation and he does he does everything for her so that she, she can like continue to get money for her and that kind of thing and he okay. doesn't know about his double life so Will Smith could play that he could play like concerned parent yeah who could be pursuit of happiness with a right with exactly a yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah, yeah perfect <laughs> I just I hope I hope I hope he actually brings it, and it's not like some. I hope mum- we don't get After Earth. I hope it's just some yeah mumblecore After Earth. Like, what are you doing? Why? Yeah, I don't want uh, Cipher Rage. Um, I'm excited for it, though. I'm I'm really I am much more excited to see a lot of what DC has to offer in the next couple of years than Marvel at this point. Okay. Just because I'm ready for something new, I kind of want to see what else is going on, and I want to see the two studios start to mm-hmm. start to make each other step up their game. So fresh. It's studio. cool. It's cool that there's news. You know. Because we were all thinking after that huge data dump, we were like, oh, God, like, are they going to be able to do this? And it's cool that there's 
still some momentum Moving going, but they're not, they're not, you know, sitting back and letting the news get out there. They're like, yeah, we've got plans. We've got, I mean, mm-hmm. there must be a script. There must be, they must be shooting. They announced that they're going to shoot in Vancouver too. And so. isn't David Ayer directing it? Yep. Cool. Let's make this movie. Toast down. Sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, Alex, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think when the, when the Jared Leto rumors came out, I seemed a little bit butthurt about it, but I had no reason for that. And I don't really know why. I, I, for some reason, I wanted it to be somebody more interesting, but that's not... He's not boring by any stretch. I think it's just your so. personal embarrassment with Jared Leto. Yeah, I just can't... He can't be in any more movies because <laughs> I've already told him that I love his movies. Um, so you have to love this one. Yeah, it's true. I'm, I'm pot committed at this point. <laughs> um, you were honor bound. <laughs> yeah, I, you guys have basically said everything that I felt about it. I'm, I'm interested in it and I do want to see where it goes. And I think it is a very strong cast for a movie that may not have the household name that a lot of other DC characters do. Yeah, I am almost a little surprised that they didn't go a little more... Because uh, I know Nick had mentioned that they're all kind of humanoid characters. I'm a little surprised with Guardians of the Galaxy being so successful that they didn't... Go a little weirder with it. Go a little weirder with it. But that being said, it could be kind of a nice mixture of weird and gritty as opposed to weird and like sci-fi, you know. So. And I think DC, they're a little early on. They may not want to go too weird too quickly. Just to do it. Which is actually kind of cool. I'm, I'm glad that they didn't carbon copy the... Yeah. You know. That's yep. kind of the beauty about DC... Though, like, uh, excuse me, uh, addressing what Alex said about not household names, there's like six DC characters who are household names. Like, they're they have so many characters, it's a huge universe, it's been mm-hmm. around forever. And yeah, there's so many characters that they can be like, hey, this guy's awesome, and people can watch it and go, oh my god, you're right, that, that character is cool. No, and I, that's I that's I, I kind of mean in the way that like Marvel before this was. Before before Iron Man was X Men and Spider Man, nobody, not a lot of people knew the name Tony Stark. My mom didn't know the name Tony Stark. Oh, you know? absolutely! Like DC, everybody knows Bruce Wayne. They know Clark Kent. A lot of people know Wonder Woman. They know like a lot of the really big DC characters. Suicide Squad isn't one. Like if I walked up to my parents, even either of my brothers, and said, "Oh, hey, do you know about DC Suicide Squad?" They'd both be like, "What?" Mm-hmm. So, yeah. personal anecdote, but that's. That no, it makes sense. Thinking, so we will see. I, I'm, I'm much more intrigued now yeah. that we have a cast. Yep. Um, next up here, uh, Ridley Scott's Exodus it has just hit theaters this weekend, or it's hitting theaters this weekend. Soon. Okay, this it's coming month. soon. Yeah, I think okay. it's. I think it's this coming week. Um, it's coming up soon, and there's been a bit of online kind of uh, negativity towards the fact that. <laughs> This movie, like many other movies based on biblical stories, um, all the main characters are predominantly cast, it's white actors or British actors or Australian actors, you know, not exactly who you'd expect to be playing uh, Moses. Egyptians. Yes, absolutely. So... Ridley Scott was asked about this at some point. This is an article from Variety that he was quoted in. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said this. I can't mount a film of this budget where I have to rely on tax rebates in Spain and say that my lead actor is Mohammed so-and-so from such-and-such. I'm just going to get it financed. I'm just not going to get it financed. So the question doesn't even come up. It's an interesting quote. Uh, I mean, we, we see this a lot, I think, uh, roles and not just uh, in biblical adaptations, yeah. but all sorts of roles, kind of getting whitewashed. And I, I'm I'm kind of curious to see what you guys think about the quote. 
M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender was also a big whitewashing for... That was a big topic when it was coming Was out. it? Okay. I wasn't aware. So, um, Alex, what do you think about his quote? What do you think about the, the debate about this whole thing to begin with? I can't say that he's wrong, because he's probably 100% right. I just think that's really kind of sad to me. And it's not like I don't... Like, I love Aaron Paul. I love Christian Bale. I love the people that are going to be in this movie. Aaron Paul's um, in this? Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, so so is Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> so, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> and Nick, it has giant crocodiles. <laughs> Nick is totally Holy sold now. Holy crap, movie of the year. But, um... <laughs> but... I don't know. It's it's sad. as somebody who would like the historical accuracy and things like that. I think it would be interesting, and I think there might be a lot of diverse actors out there who deserve a chance in these kinds of roles. But sure. you know, a Ridley Scott asking for a hundred and forty million dollars to make a movie about Exodus, he's not going to be able to take a lot of quote unquote risks. From the studio's perspective. So, mm-hmm. you know. Nick? Um, I think the quote is probably entirely accurate, like you said. I think he's super right. That um, he would need, you know, he would need to cast that, yeah. you know, those types of guys. Um, I don't really see why it's a problem, though. Because... As as the uh, you the, know the little excerpt I think you pulled that from, from slash full, no the full variety quote. oh from variety I'm sorry yeah. yeah it says it right there too um, it says like most high profile religious pictures since Martin Scorsese's 1988 The Last Temptation of Christ Exodus became the subject of intense media scrutiny before Scott had ever exposed a frame of film on stages etc cetera, etc cetera. much of the outcry online stemmed from his decision to cast all these white boys. No matter that the same could be said of The Passion of the Christ, Noah, The Ten Commandments, and virtually any other big-budget Bible movies. Um, I think that's an interesting point because it's kind of almost... Biblical epics are, are kind of rooted in film history. Like, biblical epics have always been one of those things that's around, and they're usually... It's one of the oldest stories to tell. Yeah, so. and, and they're, in, they're usually huge-budget, lavish productions with like a lot of the stars of the era... And they're usually these big movies that come out, and and, and ten, everybody tends to go see them. And I don't see that this movie is any different. And I'm not saying that that tradition can't change, or that it's even a tradition necessarily more than as a trend. But I mean, the thing is, it's a story. It's a story. Whether you think it's truth or not, you know, that's up to you. It doesn't matter. But this, for all intents and purposes, is a story. Mm-hmm. If Ridley wants to tell this story with these actors as the director, this is his vision of that story. Then cool, let him do it. Like I don't even know if to him it's a it's a problem because he doesn't really apologize and say I wanted a bunch of you know Egyptian men as my cast. No, maybe he wanted those guys. You know, what if he was like, hey, Joel Edgerton was my first choice to play Ramses because I think that'll be interesting. Could have been. I mean, it's That's possible. We're gonna get into a whole other whole other thing. Here, yeah, right? I, I, we're we're really skirting the whole. Like, and I, I'm not even. It's not even an issue of uh, of of being sensitive about race, but I think that there's this. Movies have almost begun to kind of... Everybody wants them almost to be so realistic now that they're not even movies, that you're just watching a live-action retelling of what actually happened. And if you want that, go watch the History Channel, because they do a great job with that. No, they only talk about aliens now. But, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, but for, like, a film, like, a, like, a, like essentially a, an adaptation of a story, you know, that you're seeing Ridley Scott's version of, he got the gig, he gets to tell his version, and that's the version. 
So it, it's not it's not even like he's trying to offend anybody. The studio's not trying to exclude anybody, I don't think. Maybe they are, whatever. But I think I think nobody should be too hesitant to get really mad about it, you know what I mean? No, I think I think at some point it'd be nice for a, for a studio to take a risk. You know, and try it and see what happens. I mean, I know that that's kind of big to say from the guy who's not putting up the money for the music, but but I, I mean, and also three, I guess my three thing is why not there. try to try why not try to cast uh, okay cast Christian Bale fine yep. but cast Ramsey's as a legitimate maybe Egyptian actor uh, plus I just want to see my boy Ferris Ferris get some more work so <laughs> just saying um, okay we're gonna move off that now. Uh, Alex, you have something uh, something special or not special for us? <laughs> yeah, so it's not a big you deal. You built it up at first, and then you just you're going to let us down. I brought you guys here today to talk about Stuart Little. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so apparently in oh, so, 2000... it is, so it is Tuesday then. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> apparently in 2009, a, a Hungarian art historian sat down with his daughter to watch Stuart Little and noticed a painting in the background. And said, hey, that looks a lot like a painting that's been lost for a long time. And he got in contact with the uh, set decorator. And they finally got back to him two years later. And said, yeah, I bought that for $500. Just as a thing to put on the set. I liked it. I thought it would go well in the home. (laughs) That picture is going to be auctioned off two weeks from now for $240,000 to $325,000. Whoa. So it's a painting... (laughs) It's a painting by um, Robert Bernay. I totally, totally murdered that pronunciation, but it's the Sleeping Lady with Black Vase, which has been, okay, it's been missing since 1928. That's insanity. And he randomly spotted it in Stuart Little almost like a decade after that movie came out, almost. Wow. And tracked down that painting to figure out where it was and to verify that it was real. How insane is that? That's insane. That's like, that's like, could be a movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is really cool. That's very neat. So, I'm glad you so threw that he out there. reached out to the set decorator and said, hey, by the way, you're sitting on something really, a piece of history. Yeah, yeah. They, apparently, he somehow got in contact with the people who created the movie, maybe uh, appealed to the studio or something like that, and said, hey, can you, can you get me in contact with somebody? And finally, the set decorator came forward to be like, yeah, that, we got that for $500, and, uh... Apparently it was at a Pasadena antique shop just hanging on the wall. Wow. And she bought it for 500 bucks. And now it's going to be sold for orders of magnitude more than that. That's insane. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I just thought that was interesting. It's, it's a, it, no, it's like, that's probably never going to happen again. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> one of those weird... It, it reminds me, and I might have brought this up on the podcast, but I know I've talked about it recently, the whole... Um, Somebody realized that L. Frank Baum's jacket is in the Wizard of Oz movie totally by chance because somebody went to a thrift store and bought it for the man sitting on the bench right. at the beginning of the movie. That's insane. Who is the wizard. But anyway. Uh, that's insanity. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for that, Alex. That was nice. You're quite welcome. Kind of a cool off-the-beaten-path story for us. Um, no, not so off-the-beaten-path. Uh... <laughs> Alex is going to disappear for a moment because Alex does not watch trailers. So, and this is a big trailer, so he does not want to spoil this for himself. Um, Nick and I are going to discuss the Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens trailer, which just went online Friday and uh, is obviously taken the internet by storm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
first thoughts, what did you think about it? I thought it was awesome. In every way, shape, and In form? In every way. I think everything about it was really cool. I think uh, it's a movie that I've obviously been very, incite- very excited for since it was announced. Uh, I'm trying, I would love to go back and listen to older episodes to figure out exactly, follow all of our individual trajectories on this, on this movie. It would be but, a journey, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I got a little more excited when they announced, you know, JJ, and then I, I remember reactions were mixed amongst us about the original cast. But anyway, when this trailer was coming out, I was like, oh, no way, it's going to come out. And Friday morning came around, and I, for some reason, was like, I have to drop whatever I'm doing and watch this trailer. Mm-hmm. And I finally sat down and watched it, and I was, like, totally blown away. Yeah. It was, it was way more satisfying than I expected it to be, and it's just a teaser. It's Same a really good day. teaser. Yeah. Oh, it's a, great, it's a huge tease. I mean, you don't... You don't even get a glimpse of what probably a lot of people were hoping to see. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, which is... The, I think that's great, though. The original, no, it's, that's the... I'm so happy that they did not choose the route of throw Harrison Ford's face all over this thing. Or all three of them. Yeah. That'll happen down the road during oh, promotion. Oh, yeah, the, the first real trailer, I'm sure we'll see Luke, we'll see Han, we'll they'll, see They'll be in there. And I'm down. But I hope, that's, I, I hope that for the most of the campaign, it's kept kind of minimal. Mm. Because I think that this movie... Feels like it's the beginning of kind of a torch passing thing. Oh yeah. So I think that that's kind of been the general consensus, and I think that to shove just original trilogy characters in people's faces would be—it's not the point. No, it's not. Um, and I'm glad that this is a good indicator that they're moving in the right direction. That they showed us the two new leads, and they're yeah, and they, and they uh, they both. I mean, in the little, the tiny, I mean, tiny bits you see of them, I'm compelled about who they are already. Oh yeah, me too. I'm interested to see who John Boyega is and why he is where he is. I don't want to say too much for those of you who haven't watched it, but I'm going to say a little bit, so suck it and watch the trailer. Yeah, just um, watch it. For real, it's, it's a teaser and it gives away nothing about the movie. Yeah, you'll, you'll enjoy. Except um, that things look sweet. They do. But, I mean, things like uh, Boyega just waking up and having no idea where he is, clearly being It's a very out. striking way to start oh, the teaser. What an opening. I mean, yeah. and we're on a familiar, I don't know whether it's Tatooine or not, but we're on a very familiar looking planet. I'm willing to bet it is. It probably is. <laughs> um, but for the sake of, of not throwing out the false information sure. we don't know. Um, Daisy Ridley looks cool. I love the look mm-hmm. of the speeder that she's on. It like totally makes straight Ben Burt magic. Dude, it, 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 it looks like a natural progression of the technology we saw in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that, and I said this before when we, when we first talked about it, that was sorely missing in the prequel trilogy. And I think that that's something that is often unsaid, is often an unsaid issue of that trilogy. Is it just doesn't feel like Star Wars. No. You can't just throw an actor in robes and give him a lightsaber and have it feel like Star Wars. Hey, it's a Star Wars. Go see. Yeah, go see. Please go see. Please purchase oh, tickets. They, uh, my favorite moments of the teaser were... Uh, the stormtroopers and the dropship was so cool. The atmosphere is insane. Oh yeah, I, yeah. immediately I was tense. I was like, "Holy crap, what's going yeah. on?" Like the stormtroopers actually look like they have their act together. They look, they actually look tactical. And I'm like, legitimate oh, organized. Yeah, too. maybe they're actually an army now. Yeah. Um, the X wings, gorgeous, flying over shot. the water. Oscar oh. Isaac looks good in a helmet. I didn't even realize it was him until the I, I wasn't watch. sure. I was like, God, is it him? And then I, I had to, I had to pause it. I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's awesome. Him. But, I mean, the money shot is the Millennium Falcon. Oh, it's... And that, I mean... The number one movie I saw this year is the ending of the Star Wars teaser of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> right. Doing gymnastics in the air, and then right as the, the cut point with those TIE fighters just screaming by, I was like, oh my god. It's, so I cool. mean, it, it's... There are very... I mean, we're seeing... That shot is so perfect to end the trailer because 
The Millennium Falcon is is, is certainly no, it's not. It's the most iconic Star Wars ship. Yeah. Period. The Tie Fighter is the most iconic enemy ship. Period. Yeah. And then you've got this shot over the desert mm-hmm. landscape, which is a, obviously very iconic uh, Star Wars visual. So just very cool. I also love the, the the movement of the Sith or whoever he is. Oh, me too. He kind of like hobbles, and I'm like, ooh, he looks. Like, I can't wait to see that face. He's got like a weird combo of like slouchy, like swagger. Looks like he's kind of a badass. He's, like, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of broken, but he like doesn't give a, doesn't care. Just doesn't give a shit. I think, so. and I think the new lightsaber is is awesome. Like, I'm down. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. It, I mean, it's it's it's. Yeah, you could probably argue that it's silly because it, it's a little silly, but it's a broadsword lightsaber. Yeah, whatever. Um, no, I, I was a big fan as well. I think as everything well about it is pretty cool. I think that yeah, there's a lot of. I wish more. I, I never mind. <laughs> and in terms of in terms of real in terms of new characters too, we really didn't see that many of them. There's still a lot to see. No, uh, Gwendolyn Christie, we still haven't seen. We still yeah. haven't seen um, Donald Gleason. Donald Gleason or Circus. yeah, there's a ton. Most of it, we've only seen three faces actually, yeah. and so, one body. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm I think it's excited. great. I think it's a very cool thing. It was cool to hear the Star Wars theme again. Um, I've heard some people saying that it's not. Uh, you know, they're probably in the minority at this point, saying they don't really like it or they don't think that there's any uh, any of the Star Wars magic in it. But I wholeheartedly disagree. I think that this thing is smothered in Star Wars. If, oh, it feels like it belong. It's already an entry into the universe. I think that's just that's just. I mean, you're a very, you're a pretty dang big Star Wars fan, and I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a Star Wars fan. But there, I mean, beyond us, there are those who are just there are way bigger Star Wars nuts than than mm-hmm. we are. And I think some of those guys are are going to have that growing pain purely because it it's never going to look exactly like Star Wars. It looks better, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so so. I think that that'll just take time to get. You know what I'm saying. I'm but. really curious to know how how this thing evolves and, and what the reception is. But I mean, based on the way the internet melted down over this thing, I would not be surprised if this goes on to be the highest grossing movie of all time. It could be. I mean, it's it could easily be. We saw 80 seconds of it, and the internet exploded. And as long as it deserves to be that high grossing, I'm cool with it. Yeah, for so. sure. All right. Well, we're going to bring Mr. Morell back here. Um, I don't think I mentioned this earlier in the episode. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong. But we are reviewing a movie this week. I don't think I even said we were reviewing oh, cool. a movie. You didn't. So, <laughs> F you, Alex. Uh, you know I would forget something. I forget we get to it. Um, it's on the title. Of the it's podcast. the title of the episode. Yeah. So, you know, I did not uh, dissuade you from listening. Um this is uh, director Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu's uh, Birdman, starring Michael Keaton, Zach Galifianakis, Edward Norton, uh, Emma Stone, Naomi Watts, Andrea Riseborough, a bunch of very talented people. Um, the IMDb summary says, A washed-up actor who once played an iconic superhero must overcome his ego and family trouble as he mounts a Broadway play in a bid to reclaim his past glory. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty mm-hmm. solid. Um, Alex, you're back. I am back. What did you think of Birdman? Um, you know, I think I'm still really digesting the movie quite a bit, and I think it'll take at least another viewing or two to really comprehend what was trying to be done. But there's so many layers to all of it that I think it's an, it's an interesting like think piece 
And, and but overall, as like a movie, I don't really know if I enjoyed it. Okay. I think it was an interesting experience, though. Uh, I think the performances by, especially by Michael Keaton and Edward Norton, are fantastic. Uh, I, I love Edward Norton. Everything that he does in this movie is great. Um, and and we'll get to a little bit more about how like both of them, Michael Keaton and Edward Norton, are kind of playing themselves a little bit. <laughs> I found that interesting. But um, the 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 lack the 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 continuous shot, the fact that the movie is is one shot or or stitched together to be mm-hmm. one shot. I think is a really interesting mechanism and has been attempted before uh, with things like Children of Men and then even before that, like, started with Rope by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I think it did a good job of keeping me interested and kind of wrapped up in the story and tense, but um, I don't know if it really serves a great purpose to the movie. I don't know if it helps enhance what is trying to be told by the movie, but we can get into that a little bit more, probably in Spoiler Terry. But overall, I think I think it was interesting. I, I enjoyed kind of the drum, the jazz drum beat going on throughout the movie to just kind of build up a little bit of that tension that I was experiencing as well. And um, it, overall, I think, I think it's a very interesting movie. I don't think it'll end up on my top ten, but um, I think it's definitely worth seeing. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, Nick, Birdman, Man of Birds, Birdman. By by the way, I was really disappointed it wasn't about Hanna Barbera's Birdman and Harvey Birdman. Well, of course, but you know. Anyway, yeah. For those of you who haven't seen it, uh, you know, it's not about that. I was disappointed it's not about Bill Hader's character Birdman from Portlandia, (laughs) the Australian uh, walkabout guide. Um, Birdman. I feel kind of the same way Alex did when we walked out of the movie, and I was like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the more I've thought about it, the more I liked it, mm. purely because it's so different. And that's both good and bad because it's different. I think with function, where it it serves a purpose, and then it's different sometimes. Where I feel like it's just trying to be different and weird. Like I think Alejandro, who I I don't think I've seen any of his other movies. Um, so I don't know, really know what the guy's like in terms of, of films, but, you know, I've got a pretty good bite on Cuéron and, and Guillermo del Toro, and I know these guys are all, are all boys. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to kind of see some more of his films now, but this could have been an amazing movie. There's, there's a lot going for it that is phenomenal. It's got an excellent cast. It's very, very, very frighteningly well-directed and shot, um... But from some of the story, where it goes and what it chooses to do, it kind of bothers me because I I almost wish they had gone a little more straightforward route at times. Because I think that there was a really powerful movie here, and I think it got a little too it got a little too excited to be silly sometimes. And um, sometimes it felt like it was trying to be a drama, and sometimes it was trying to be a comedy, and sometimes it was trying to be a satire, and it never did any of those things to the fullest potential it could have by trying to do so many different things. So I don't know if, you know, I questioned the motivation of the jazz score. As soon as it started, I was like, is this movie going to be very 
loosey goosey and improv-y. It felt like the kind of score that would accompany like coffee and cigarettes or something mm-hmm. kind of out there and like mm-hmm. a little more free form. And so, but this movie doesn't feel that way. It, it feels, feels ridiculously structured. Yeah. yeah. And so the jazz score at times was really cool. And sometimes I'm like, this makes literally no sense in any universe why this music <laughs> is happening right now. Yeah. It became very distracting. And you'd be hard pressed uh, right now to throw a football in any direction and hit someone who's a bigger fan of a long take than me. Mm-hmm. You could actually probably cast the net wider than that and not find anyone <laughs> who's a bigger fan of a long take than me. But, uh, this movie was almost too much of a good thing, too. Like, it was... At times, it was magnificent along the one-shot idea, and at times, I found myself being... feeling very tense and bored. And I was like, I need a cut. Like, yeah. this movie needs to cut. <laughs> and, and, and so I can hit that mental refresh button and, and refocus myself and, and prepare for what's next. But, at, you know, I kind of started to just... Mm, which is, interestingly enough, some of the same problem I have with plays... Mm. Is that it's all from one perspective, and I start to get antsy and bored because I'm like, here I am, I'm looking at the same damn play mm-hmm. set. So, you know, the whole movie is is about a play, and it's almost done in the style of a play, where it's told kind of through one guy's perspective most of the time, and you 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 kind of have that fixed perspective of following this person around. It's very much like a play. And I even said to Alex as soon as it was over, I hope Mike Nichols got to see it because this is something he really would have dug. And then later I found a piece of trivia that said. He Inarito met with him to kind of talk about the movie because I think the guy had so much experience adapting stage to screen and did it so well yeah. while still retaining the flavor of like a theater experience. And in, so in a lot of ways, this movie really succeeded at that. Where I was like, "Man, theater nuts are going to like this." And at times, I was like, Oof. "It still has to be a movie." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> making a movie, but it's 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 really interesting. And I've been thinking about it almost nonstop since we saw it. And I really want to see it again. So I think that's good. The movie did those things really, really well. It got it got me like got the juices flowing, and I was like, "All right, I, this is gonna." And all right. So I don't know where what its fate is in terms <laughs> of my top ten or, or what, but I, I'm not ruling it out because it, you know, I'm willing to reward an experience that was memorable over something that I just had a great time doing but have forgotten about. So I recommend it. Certainly. Yeah. I all just right. think it's not going to be for everybody. <laughs> It's barely for us, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't for me um, either. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I do. I have some nice things to say about about Birdman. Um, the performances are great, like you guys said. I don't think there's a weak link in the house, honestly. I think a uh, weak link in the house and the chain. Um, there <laughs> it's isn't a house made one. Of chains. It's a house made of chains. It's a chain house. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Norton especially. Good God. Um, and Keaton's great too, but Norton, good God. Mm-hmm. Um, the, from a, from a technical standpoint, the thing is very unique and interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, there were definitely times where I did feel that fatigue though, that Nick was talking about where it was like, I, 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 because I don't quite have the eye for some of that stuff. I think I didn't think of it in terms of, I need to cut. I was just like, I need something. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my brain was talking, <laughs> I need something to like, I don't know. So yeah. it felt like a very long two hours to me. And that's not necessarily a good thing yeah. when you're not super enjoying the experience. So there was checking your phone uh, a few times. Um, I think Alejandro would not like me as a person. <laughs> uh, I don't think we'd get along. And, and I'm okay with that. And I'm sure he is too. Because there's there's moments in the movie where he, he very much uh, mocks the... Hollywood 
uh, Hollywood as an entity and yeah. what they're doing right now in particular and the uh, the prominence of CG explosion movies and how those are pretty much taking over every aspect of cinema. Yeah. Um, but then the moment where he kind of parodies that a little bit in the movie was like my favorite moment from the movie. So <laughs> clearly we would not see eye to eye. Um, I was like, why aren't you doing more of that? <laughs> Come on, Inuritu. Do you wanted, it. You wanted to see Birdman. Birdman I wanted to see Birdman action movie. Yeah, I yeah, know. And, and, and here's the thing is, it's and, and you guys both kind of touched upon this. I feel horrible saying this. I would love this movie in the hands of a less talented director. Of a less artistic director. Not talented, artistic. I would love this movie in the hands of... In the vein of, like, Death to Smoochie. And I'm not just saying that because of Ed Norton. I'm saying that because Death to Smoochie knew how to make a black comedy in the best way possible. It was hilarious, but you felt bad about laughing at it. I did not feel that in this movie. I laughed at parts, but no, I didn't feel bad about laughing at those parts. I felt bad about the parts I felt bad about. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Or, it would have been really good in the hands of an equally artistic director who does dramas. A little more straightforward of a drama. Either one of those, I would have loved to have explored the real sad, pathetic existence of a washed-up actor who thinks that this is going to be his new lease on life, and it's just not happening. Yeah, that would be interesting. And it gets really close to being that so. Story. It's it's like it's like, uh, no, sorry, just kidding. It's it's I, a comedy again. I think it try. It's so ambitious and tries to take on so much that it doesn't really follow anything through. Well, the movie is barely a complete story. Like, I'm, yeah. And, and yeah. the fact that I'm not sure how it ended for a number of reasons kind of bothers me. It's a little frustrating. Like your, your comment about it, maybe in the hands of a less artistic director is really interesting because this movie doesn't... He never really commits to a course. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie is just kind of mean. Like, it's kind of a mean movie. It's a very mean spirit. Like, it movie. picks on everybody in the and, movie. And it's kind of, it's kind of upsetting. And it, and it picks on everything it, it touches. It doesn't feel like it does it for a particular purpose, either. Like, he doesn't drive it to a fine point. It's just a lot of, like, really like they, surface... And, and I have no... I have it's no, pretty cynical. Yeah. I have no problem seeing a movie where there's no one to root for. Like, some people do. They're like, I needed somebody to get behind. And I'm like, no, that's fine. If they're all despicable people, I have no problem watching that. Nobody in this movie is a despicable person, really. They're, no. all, they're all, like, okay people. They, they vary from, like, kind of scummy to, like, you feel bad for them, you sympathize with them, but the movie just makes them all out to be shitty, and it doesn't really let you get behind anybody. Yeah, and that's, that is frustrating. It's kind of a bummer. You're like, oh, leave, you want our, leave the guy alone. <laughs> kind leave, of. You know, one of these, it's very, I don't know, it doesn't paint anybody in a great light. No, and you, you want somebody to kind of not even root for but just somebody to kind of like like grab onto uh, for the, for the over the course of the ride and you don't really get that um i i'd be bummed out if i didn't if we didn't mention well, at least i don't know how you guys felt but if i didn't mention how awesome Zach Galifianakis is in this. yeah He's, i think he was my favorite part of the movie that's true you, you know what it's it's funny because i i went and saw it with Nikki and um I kind of said to her after, I was like, why was Zach Galifianakis in that movie? Like, <laughs> like, and then she goes, actually, it was pretty cool to see him in a role that wasn't Zach galifianakis oh, I loved And I was like, movie. you know what? That's exactly why he was in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah. She was he totally was, right. He was actually, I thought... He was the most normal person in the movie, like, in terms of, like, their behavior. And he felt very authentic. I, I bought yeah. him 100%. He was really, really good. Yeah. And I'm glad they didn't... 
make him like a silly guy with a beer belly or anything like that. It was kind of like Jack Black and King Kong-ish to me, where he kind of broke out of his typical shtick. And yeah. He was actually really good. No, you guys are absolutely right about that, because you and Nikki are totally right. <laughs> um, no, it's... I. There are very few people I can truly suggest this to. I think anybody who's interested in the art of filmmaking would probably it'd be worth seeing purely for what it accomplishes at a technical level, Mm -hmm. cinematography and everything. Um, I I think anybody looking for a laugh riot is not going to find it here. I think anybody looking for like a dark, like a dark, really kind of nasty drama is not going to find it here. Yeah. Um, I think, I think he really ultimately ends up sacrificing a lot of story and plot satisfaction for technical prowess and experimentation yeah yeah and, it, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing but ultimately it doesn't make for uh as, as nick said it doesn't it doesn't add up to being like a like a satisfying film for, yes. for any number of reasons yeah and, and you know it's 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 weird it's it's like a um this is like the cinematic equivalent of a, a coney island it does a lot of things okay doesn't do any of them that well because it has no specialty Whoa. So <laughs> you're saying this is a camera phone, which is neither a good phone nor a good camera. No, it does go. both. There you go. <laughs> Nick, Nick agrees with that. Let's one. not pick on Coney Island. <laughs> I'm not saying all. We, Coney we are the Midwest film ones. Um, we we have to stand behind. There are plenty of Coney Islands out there who do everything, <laughs> but none of it particularly well. So. Um, cool. Spoiler Terry, boys. Yeah. All right. We're going gonna to hop into the spoiler wagon, and uh, we'll be back. All right, boys. What a wonderful trip in the spoiler wagon that was. Yes. I'm glad we're here in spoiler Terry now. <laughs> Feels safe. Or dangerous. Um... <laughs> Nick, uh, I know you wanted to mention. Uh, um, uh, just mention it. Just go for it. <laughs> Throwing it right to well, you. Well, I, I read a I read an article earlier on a website that we talk about a lot. I don't know what what whatever. <laughs> David Chan on Slashville okay. wrote. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Alex. I wrote an article uh, that said, "Let's talk about the ending of Birdman." I agree. Let's talk about the ending of Birdman. <laughs> Are we talking the final yes. shots? How, yeah. how the film actually ends? Okay. But. Before I could even get to the meat of of the article, he had a uh, a thing that said, or well, it's called a sentence, and um, <laughs> it said, "This movie doesn't just want to make you feel something; it wants to say something about humanity and stardom and the inner lives of celebrities and the cultural genocide that superhero films have wrought upon us." I kind of disagree with the entire sentence, mm. and I think it's important because either. I missed something big time and need help understanding it. Or David did. And <laughs> I think some of it is kind of what I said along the lines of like this movie is ambitious and has a lot to it. Like I think the superhero thing, like the 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 idea that this is coming out as we're getting a boom of superhero movies and it's talking about how the heights of these people's careers that's not an movies, and then they do nothing like they yeah. end up doing nothing I think there's something that's supposed to be there but I don't think it ever gets to a coherent thought I would agree and I, and I his previous sentence ended with uh, 
The film seems like it was done in one long, continuous take. Birdman is stuffed to the gills with ideas and importance. Importance in italics. There's nothing important in this movie. <laughs> no. Nothing. And that I'm 100% confident in. This, this movie is in a read to poking fun at a lot of things. And that's all he's doing. He's, he's poking a lot of fun, which is fine. I agree. A lot of it is funny. And uh, though one of the shots I did love in this movie was the the fever dream he has of, of Bumblebee cavorting on stage with, with Spider-Man. And, <laughs> and uh, Iron Man. Yeah, and that was full-blown Death to Smoochie, and I loved that part. Yeah. I was like, this is funny. And I, I totally get some of the things he was aiming for, but he is not the, he is not swinging the heavy bat of drama and, and you know, trying to dissect the Hollywood machine and really bring it down. Not at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that he wasn't trying to. I would say that he fails at doing so if that is indeed what he was trying. If That's why I don't think he was trying, because I think he's good enough, his reputation is good enough, that I think if he really, really wanted to do it, he would have done it. Yeah. I think if he wanted to go there, because the movie literally has like a middle, has a Walter Mitty-style sequence where a giant robotic bird is attacking <laughs> helicopters and shit in the street. <laughs> like, if you want your movie to be really serious and dramatic, you don't have that. Like, he was having a little bit of fun in that moment, like, pointing out how ludicrous... Superhero movies are, but the thing is, like, I don't, I, but I also don't think that seriousness, I, I don't think you can't have importance if you have fun. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I suppose you're right, but the way this article is written, or the way at least I'm reading what's been written, is that it's, this is a, this is a heavy hitter of, of you know, it's kind of an indictment of the of the movie industry, and I don't really think it is. I think it is in the way that like I, I got to go back to the Death of Smoochie thing. Death of Smoochie's not not ripping apart children's shows. It's just kind of teasing them, being like you're a little silly, and it's and yeah, it's kind of having fun with with the notion that what goes on behind the scenes. And mm. this movie could have been a really really powerful meditation on what happens when actors become celebrities and get caught up in in it being an A-list actor in like a tentpole superhero action-y movie and then what happens to them afterwards because it's something I've long wondered about and probably sure. always will. What happens to someone's psyche when you when you can't walk on the street without somebody going, hey, and this movie almost treats it like it's a good thing. Like it's kind of on his side a lot of the time. And like mm -hmm. it, the movie never really makes... It sounds like that... <laughs> And now that I'm, you know, talking about it like this, it almost like I'm doubling back on what I said earlier with the movie being mean to Michael Keaton. And it kind of is a lot of the time, but at the same time, it kind of roots for him. It, or not, not roots for him, it kind of has his back. Like It's very sympathetic to his character. Yeah, it kind of still kind of paints him in a negative light in terms of his relationships with everybody. But it doesn't really condemn him for, like, making a ton of money and being a movie star and then wanting to do something more with that. Like, everybody right. kind of makes fun of him and goes, oh, you're a washed-up, shitty superhero who wore a rubber suit and a cape like what do you know about theater and it doesn't really seem fair to ever do that to anybody no uh <clears throat> this is before we even got into what this article is about which is <laughs> well real quick I, I like Dave Chen a lot and I, this is not if Dave uh, Chen I, I, for some strange yeah. reason is listening this is not a slight against you um by any means but I don't I think and I, this is totally fair because Technically, we should be drawing what we want to from the movies we're watching. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and if, if if that's the thing he's drawing, that's totally okay for him. But I don't get that, and I, I don't. I think that this is a this what's what he's saying is is very 
from the mind of somebody who's very involved in, in movies and movie uh, criticism. Criticism and particularly because I, also I, filmmaking. Yeah. I think it's a little dramatic. I think calling superhero movies uh, a cultural genocide is a bit strong. I think that they're. I don't know exactly what he means by that. That seems a little silly to me. But um, but write in Dave Chen and tell me what you meant by that, so <laughs> yes, I can better Dave, understand. We'd love to have you come on and yeah. While while I do, I am a David Chen supporter. There have been many slash filmcasters have been like, "What in the hell is Dave talking about here?" Yeah. So come on, so we can argue with you. Yes, Dave Chen. Um, no, and I wanted to say, I wanted to say very much to Willie's point as well. I think the 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 idea of this movie's importance to Dave Chen, I think it's a very subjective thing. I think it like if he wants to find importance out of this movie, that's totally up to him. And yeah. also, I wish that I had studied a little bit more on Inari Two and what he wanted to do with this movie and what kind of words, what he's been saying about this movie when going on to talk about it. Because I think I right now. I have no clear picture of what he intends this movie to be, sure, and and uh, what he wanted to put the audience through by having them experience the movie. Yeah, well, I think say, if, he, if 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 he had said this movie is important to filmmaking or important to film, the art of film, I'm not going to disagree with him about yeah. that. Yeah, because there are elements of this that are very different and unique and interesting, and could probably inspire God knows what in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but to call it important is a different thing. That's that to me. That's like saying it's uh, it's gonna make people look at things, and, and I, I don't know. It doesn't. Well, I, but I still, I it still different think, to me. I still but, think that's like a really like David Chen calling this movie important isn't the Library of Congress or a Criterion Collection deciding to make this part of their collection. Well, no, of course not. If, if that happens, which actually it kind of really could, either of those could easily happen in my opinion, then that's a bit of a different story. Criterion could scoop this up and it, I think it would be totally justified purely on a technical level. Absolutely, yeah. I've totally. seen plenty of Criterion movies that I walked away going, huh? But I knew that it was something it's there. most of them. But yeah. if, the, if the Library of Congress writes in and is like, this documented an important moment where superhero movies took over all movies and we no longer took risks and told different stories. Like, I that's what the so. Library of Congress says. That's I think that's equating to David Chen being like, this movie is super, super important, and that being true for everybody in the world. But mm-hmm. instead, it's just David Chen being like, I find meaning in this, and I want to try to find meaning in this. That's what I take away from it. See, but, but, I, but and, and, and I agree that he worded it really strongly, too. Well, it's unfortunate to me about this, and, and I, well, sorry, Nick, I'll get back to you there. I know you're... You're itching to talk more about this, so about the actual um, ending. <laughs> but no, uh, one thing I want to say is I don't think that that's fair for pe- for anybody to say that um, you know these dumb popcorn movies are taking over. Because honestly, if you want to look at like so- popular science fiction films in the '90s versus now, we're getting such higher quality stuff than we were then in terms of everything, in terms of storytelling, in terms of thematic material, in terms of Cinematography in terms of special effects, I, I think if anything we're on an upswing, and we're like things like Snowpiercer. Are you kidding me? That bridges the gap so perfectly between big budget action sci-fi thriller and art house movie, better than almost any movie I've ever seen in my entire life. So I think that's a totally. Re- there are still going to be crap that comes out, but guess what? There's crap that comes out from every genre. Yeah, so. I, I I would be really curious to know why Inuritu wrote this the way he did. Hmm. Because at times, it, and I would love to be 100% wrong in this, but 
at times it felt a lot like a lazy foreigner's view of American moviegoers. Like that could entirely. It be felt a lot like him being like, Americans are all stupid and love superheroes. Like let's make fun of them. And this movie, that's probably not true, but someone could take it that way. Oh yeah. And this movie does by itself in the movie, David does a really good job of explaining that even though, yeah, those big budget movies do exist and they do take over the the popular umbrella of internet news, you can go down the street in New York and see a play that someone wrote and poured out their heart and soul into a performance on the stage. Like, that exists and will always exist, and the movie says that. Or go to a little theater, indie theater, and watch Birdman. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this movie... It's the purpose of this movie is not to 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 expose all that shit and have a have a have a have a scathing commentary on the state of movies today. Not at all. Like there, there's a little bit of that peppered throughout there, but I think it's I don't even know yet what the movie's about as a whole. But that's only an element of this movie, and it's not what the point of the movie is. Yeah. It's if anything, it's just a story of a guy struggling to deal with the fallout of having that experience. Like this isn't the player. This isn't a movie about movies. Yeah, I, and yeah, but the end. I, but I but I can't I, I can't say that. I don't want to say that Inuritu did not intend to make it a movie about movies. But we we I hope we didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, I, I truly do because I think that that would that would be kind of boring. This movie's about a play, and like I, I think he he. Whatever. I, I wish I wish he had gone a little more in the route of let's let's make this a human drama just about a about a guy because there were some really really powerful moments in this yeah. movie, um, and they, there were moments of, of great importance I think you know and there are things in there worth exploring that I wish had been explored a little further and let's let's ease back on some other elements but the the actual ending at this point I'm kind of just exhausted by it and don't even really want to bother to dissect it. Yeah. There are a lot of theories out there, some of which are full blown stupid, <laughs> and that's not what happened. And some of them are really interesting. And uh, there's a lot of things that I wanted I wanted a little more explanation for. Like, and I've read cool, but but it's fun because I've read cool uh, theories. Like the jellyfish shot, we we understand now mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that was that was a cool little thing to put that at the beginning. Yes, yep. um, yeah. the comet. What do we think about the comet? The comet, I think, is just a dying star. That's kind what of, I like. I kind, of, kind of in a literal sense. That's kind of what I like, yeah. Some symbolism of something falling, like a falling star is kind of what I thought. Mm-hmm. There was one really cool theory, though, that the comet the whole time... This is what made me laugh really hard. The whole, the whole time has been hurtling towards Earth. And at the end of the movie, when Emma Stone looks down at the sidewalk and then looks up with this look on her face of like... It's the comet. It's the comet, and she looks down, and his body is down there, but then the comet is coming, and that after the movie ends, the comet actually destroys the Earth. Or, or, or I'm sorry, no, it doesn't destroy the Earth. The comet crashes in New York, and it, the George Clooney metaphor has has come full circle, because rather than death of sudden reborn star on the front page, it's comet strikes New York, and his death is brushed aside. It's the same way George Clooney takes the front page over him on an airplane. That's funny. I was like, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that's not bad. And, uh, I didn't give it too much thought, but I, that's, that's kind of funny. I really wanted to know, because I'm like, there had to be a purpose for this. Somebody else's theory that I don't like as much is that the comet was like a, was essentially the bullet traveling towards his brain. And we mm. see that out of order in the way that we see the, the jellyfish. Okay. Do you guys think he died? And if so, at what point during the movie? <laughs> I don't, I don't, 
I don't know. I would, you don't want to expel the brain power to figure Nope. <laughs> I don't care enough about this movie to do that. I'm really, really wishy-washy on it. There's a lot of... The weird thing is, there's part of me that wants to glom on to the fact that the movie is somewhat of an unreliable narration. Absolutely. But there's also times where it's not. Because, yeah, he goes flying around New York, but then when he actually makes it back to the theater, he steps out of a a cab to kind of try and explain, oh, he wasn't actually flying. He he was probably drunk in the back of a cab. Mm Mm-hmm. So that, if there's any logic there, I think it kind of nullifies what I'm about to say. But my initial reaction, not initial reaction, but where I've kind of fallen is that I think he does die. I think he dies when he jumps out of the window in the end. Mm-hmm. And But because it's such an unreliable narration, I'm thinking that it's Emma, like Emma Stone's reaction. She looks down, she's like, oh, he's not there. And then she looks up. It's kind of his manifest, manifestation of what he thinks... She's seeing as him like flying. He's finally flying now that he's killed himself because he's or he's no kind of passing on the, the, or he's already passed on the strange daydream stuff to her. Maybe we don't know that much about from her perspective. She could be, yeah. she'd be Michael Keatoning in that moment and seeing him float. But he's I not like your, I've read that as well that people think that maybe he's he's finally free of, yeah, of all this and he's actually flying for once. Um, yeah, I, I, I think. I'm not sure what I what I what my definitive like inception like what happened uh, opinion is yet, but I kind of think that he blew his head off during the play at the end of the play, okay. and because everything that happens afterwards is very not what I would expect. Mm. Like, oh, you aimed for your huge head and you just clicked gotcha. your nose. <laughs> like, yeah, it's pretty, like, you're strange. The, you don't know how to use a gun. And then your nose is replaced and totally healed, except for the fact that your face is bruised. And yeah. and you've become a trending topic, and the woman who hates your guts and everything that you stand for loved your play. That's really... And you invented yeah. a new form of acting in which every night you're going to blow your nose off in front of the... Th- like, it, <laughs> it's all very, like, convenient. That's very interesting you said it because I and, and it's not like this movie doesn't do things that are that are out there or unrealistic or that it's you know uh, trying to be too grounded. But one thing that Nikki mentioned last night was that she's like the ho- she's like I just can't get over the hospital window just being openable, especially by somebody who just tried to kill themselves. She's like that makes no sense. So that actually kind of ties into your thing. Like that would they would never do that. Not that like I said, this movie is that grounded, but yeah. And, it, and it's a lot. Somebody else had a brilliant thing they pointed out with uh, the, um, the part of the reason I, I love. I already love talking about this movie. Is there there is a lot in there, and I, I don't. I guess I can't fault David too hard for wanting to to read into into things a certain way. Because Absolutely. There are a lot of people going through this movie and finding little things, and they're talking about at the beginning of the movie um, when he's having her buy the flowers, mm. and he says, "What do they smell like?" And he, it seems to me like he's trying to use it as an identifier of, of you know, what type of flowers are they? What do they smell like? But some people are taking that as he, he just wants to know what they smell like. And there's this moment at the end of the movie when he can't smell the flowers and he, he like laughs about it. And someone's talking about the overall, one of the overall themes being the, the line, the sweet smell of success. And that this guy can never bother to stop and smell the roses. And the fact that he's always so burdened with 
this this mantle of Birdman that he can't just stop and and enjoy and try to climb out from under that. He should just go with it. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting yeah. thing too. And there are probably moments with flowers throughout the movie. And somebody else thought he when he ran and jumped off the roof and flew away that he actually died, he died then. there. And that they point out that the scene when Amy right after that when Amy Ryan comes to visit him he's laying flat on his back in like a corpse-like pose in a room stuffed with flowers and his wife comes to see him and they're both wearing she's wearing like slightly funereal yeah uh, clothing like opening night clothing potentially but also but maybe. also potentially funeral clothing yeah and they have an intimate moment where I mean it's cool that's really really cool it's cool yeah and there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie that makes me really want to see it again well and the other thing that I kind of like the, the one of the points that I really walked away with after thinking about it for a little bit, I kind of like how the movie is what the critic says at the end. And that it's kind of this... Like, this whole movie is like a really blurred line between actual life and the film itself. In the sense that we have these... And we didn't talk about this much yet. We have Michael Keaton's... Uh, career mirrored in Regan Thompson's career and uh, Edward Norton's uh, behavior is kind of put into Mike uh, his character Mike's uh, behavior as well. Mm -hmm. We have these people kind of playing fictionalized versions of themselves and so they're like he's kind of made this movie and taken it from being just a strict performance to being this really interesting blurred kind of meta yeah, and and that's kind of what sh what the critic at the end rewards the movie for being or the the play for being mm -hmm. because he's taken he's put his blood back into into Broadway and that he's kind of experimentally taken steps to make it the play is affecting his real life by him right. shooting himself, which is ridiculous. But I think it's that's kind of interesting that the that the movie itself is kind of emulating the play in that way as well. Like that, that okay. opening night performance. Of the I really want to know more about the play because I want to know how much it... If, if it's even a real play. And if yeah, it I is, have no idea. It, it is, it is a, like the Raymond Carver story is a real... It's a short story by okay. Raymond Carver. Okay. But uh, other than that, like I don't know if anybody's adapted it before or anything like that. I just really wanted to see him come out on stage in the Birdman... Like go completely nuts and just come out in the Birdman costume. That was... I don't want to see kind of chubby, older Michael Keaton in the Birdman outfit so bad. Just have, I just want to see Norton's reaction laying in bed with Naomi Watts to him storming in there going, <laughs> I mean, the, the scene like, of him naked coming in and just winging it like that yeah. was, was brilliant. It was pretty cool. yeah. It was a great scene. I was like, this yeah. is really cool. There, there were tons of moments in this movie where I was totally along for the ride, and I was really enjoying it. Yeah. And um, the, la the very last thing I want to touch on real quick, I know we're approaching the end, but this is really fascinating, and I saw this on, online. Um, and I wonder the significance of it when it happened, but somebody uh, talks about, like Alex mentioned, the, sub the, the unreliable narrator, and mm -hmm. in this guy's words, the subjective nature of reality. And I think that that's, in, in movies, this is an important thing to consider because they're generally told from a certain person's perspective. And we've only recently, I feel like, begun to really get a lot of movies where the reliability of somebody's narration is kind of comes into question. And... There was a scene when he was leaving the party store, which was one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually. The party store was, was really beautiful, mm -hmm. with all the little chilly lights everywhere. Yep. And there's the homeless, out-of-work actor who's just quoting... Uh, it was obviously Shakespeare, really loudly, but apparently it's from Macbeth. And if you read the whole excerpt, 
Um, it's really, really good, and it mirrors the, the movie a lot. But the last couple lines are the best, where it says, um, uh, basically says, uh, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more. Is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. <laughs> and I think that best sums up this movie. Yeah. yeah because it's much. a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And I, I think that that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. Because yeah. her, coupled with... Uh, with the way he's not that important, most of the movie, as Emma Stone points out, and her exercise with the toilet paper, with the idea that they're just a blip in the in the in in yeah. everything, the calendar of the cosmos, yes, yeah. and and even the calendar of humanity mm-hmm. and the calendar of movies, like, mm-hmm. does it ever does it really matter? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that they're that's pretty interesting. It is. This it guy's is. entire comment. There's a lot more to it than that. Is actually really really good. I won't read the whole thing, but I would encourage. Uh, if you go on the subreddit movies and look up the official discussion for Birdman topic, there's a lot of really, really great stuff in there. The Another weird thing that I wanted to point out, we're over time at this point, but that that homeless man who's reciting the Macbeth, when he says, oh man, was that, was that, am I giving you too much? That's exactly what the guy mm-hmm, says right. on stage in the beginning yep. of the movie. Yeah. Is, do you guys have any meaning for that? Do you no. know? Not yet? I noticed it. Yeah. I don't have any. I think it... I mean, one of them's a bad. Okay, one of them already considers a bad actor, and then the other one's a clearly a homeless ex actor. <laughs> so maybe he wasn't such a good actor. I don't well, know. Well, he looks he looks so mortified, and his reaction to that is so like horrified. And I think maybe the reality of like there's a billion actors out there who all want to be actors, and who just how many people there are. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it was a little something to do with that. Like he was kind of realizing. Maybe he doesn't have it so bad. Maybe but I, I, I think I, he probably felt a very complex reaction to that moment. But like, do you, do you think that there is any meaning behind mirroring that exact those exact lines between those two people? Do you think there's any meaning behind mirroring those exact lines between? Those I don't two people? know. That's why I'm asking the question. <laughs> Not a Are guy. you just mirroring my lines? What? I'm looking in a mirror right now. It's amazing. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Actually, I, I, write I, in I, feedback <laughs> at midwestfilmnerds.com. I was trying to think about it for a few beats after that scene. I was like, "What could that mean?" But then I was just like, "It's probably just one of those weird mo- deja vu kind of moments where he's been stricken by this." We didn't even get into what the, what the hell was going on with like his supposed telekinesis superpowers. And, yeah, there's well, just... and a lot of that to me gets wrapped into like the unreliable narration. It was uh-huh. simply him chucking stuff across the right. room and Yeah. But or was it Yeah, I don't who knows. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, just him grabbing and throwing things around cuz all of it was pretty explainable. Why did the light fall from the ceiling? Hmm. Could just be coincidence. Who knows, yeah. Yeah. Maybe right. he hired his daughter to drop. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's a really Edward cool. Did it. <laughs> it's a really yeah. Just to cause some some shenanigans. <laughs> so you see it in, in the in the show. I, I think I think I can recommend it for a lot of reasons. Like I said, I don't think everybody. It's it's hardly anybody's cup of tea necessarily. A hundred percent. But I think it's a really interesting experience. Yeah. And uh, I, in a way. I don't know Inaritu's agenda, but I, uh, I, I would have preferred, I think, for, for selfish reasons, like a more straightforward drama about like a fallen you know, superhero star, but I kind of applaud Inaritu for doing something a little bit different and yeah. for, 
or kind of playing the role of the old lady critic, just being like, I don't want to churn out another piece of pap for the for the masses. Like, I want to make something that's different that people are going to talk about. And, I mean, there's a lot more we could talk about, too. Yeah. So, that's I'm, good. I'm personally excited for my Happy Madison version of this movie. My Happy Madison Productions version. <laughs> An actual Birdman movie. Yeah. Yeah. With Adam Sandler playing a washed up, it'd be hilarious. I think they should just get Gary Cole, call it a day. Call Harvey it a Birdman. Day. Come on. Oh my goodness. And I, I wanted to say one more thing. Nick and I were talking about, were you hoping if it was somebody else in the suit? And, <laughs> and I kind of said, and he just, he, Nick kind of joked, oh yeah, what if it was like Val Kilmer? And then I was like, oh, that would have been super, super meta because it's, it's somebody who played Batman after Michael Keaton. What if it was George Clooney? Or George Clooney. Or Christian Bale. Was... If, it had been, if they had scored Christian Bale to play like, the young, virile Birdman, that would have been brilliant. Ace. Yeah. Would have been I bet he would have you know, done it, too. Based on that. Yeah. It was Michael Keaton, though, right? Just I think like, so, yeah. yeah. I think it was. The, in that like last him. scene, looking at him without the goatee. He looked like Batman. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so. He's Must consult Batman anytime. He's still got it. Um, he could jump back in the suit anytime. Like he says in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Squeeze back into it. Uh, All right. right. Well, thank you guys. You're not hosting today, Alex. Yeah. Uh, hey. Trying to take it's your job. Rings. Go ahead. My job. <laughs> um, I just I just gave him sexy eyes. Um, if you liked what you heard here tonight, or you didn't like it, and you want to listen to Alex instead, because sometimes he's way better than I am. Uh, MidwestFilmers.com. All past episodes and show notes. It's true. Yeah. Yep. Skip the three when I was in Japan. If you didn't like this. If you tonight. didn't like this one, skip those. <laughs> no, don't, because they're all really good episodes. They are. They but, absolutely are. Yeah, I don't think I'm on any of them either, so it's a real <laughs> departure. So we both need to leave is what, for the good of the show. Just get out of here. <laughs> um, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. Um, Twitter, we're at, at MFNPodcast, as well as Instagram. Um, and then if you want to send us some feedback, which we will read on the show and respond to, hopefully kindly... Mr. Chen, <laughs> uh, email us, feedback at midwestfilmers.com, or call us, 248-733-5MFN, which is 248-733-5636. Don't know what's going on next week yet. Yeah, we'll figure that out. Maybe a Christmas treat, perhaps, possibly. Potentially. We'll uh, white guys in Egypt doing biblical things. That's, that, com- that's coming, that, too. That, that comes weeks. out December 12th. Yeah, I believe uh, we've got crap. another... We've got something in between, so... Yeah, wait for my Ben Mendelsohn um, Crocodile movie later. But, God. <laughs> ben Mendelsohn Crocodile Hunter. Um, <laughs> I would watch that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, and uh, Kyle XY, go watch the movie.